from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode number 120. Today's show is brought to you by Casper, FreshBooks, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as I always am, by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Mike. How are you? I am very well, Mr. Jason Snell. How How are you, sir? I, I'm doing. I'm doing just fine. Weathering the the brutal uh, weather oof, conditions of oof. of uh, of uh, December in in uh, the Bay Area. Woo. Good luck with that. Temperatures, you know, near or slightly below freezing. Shocking. You don't want to yeah. have to do with that, Jason. You need those hands to be limber, not to be cold. You know, I know. You've got to be able to. Type I know for out typing all the words exactly. I, I gotta, I gotta get my typing fingers nice and warm. Yeah, it's true. How are you? How is your? Uh, how is your? Uh, your home? How is your new home? Very good, actually. We've completely moved in now. We live here. Um, it isn't just a place that we own uh, that we were sometimes visiting. Like last week, I was still just visiting, but we moved in on Wednesday. We're settling in. Uh, it's very, uh, very stressful, very busy time, turns out, moving into a home. Funny. It's funny how things like that work. Well, what, what you should do is combine that with something like the holiday season to add a little uh, stress. Is there a holiday season coming up? I Turns know. out. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is we Might came to get the on realization that. this weekend that we haven't bought any presents for anybody. Uh-huh. Um, Shocker. It's just, it's just not something I'm thinking about. And people are saying, mm-hmm. family members are saying, oh, what would you like for Christmas? It's like, I have no idea. I don't know what I need in my life anymore. Housewarming presents, I guess. So I've just been asking everybody this holiday season for the most exciting of gifts, uh, gift cards and gift vouchers. Oh, nice. Because I don't know what I need, but what I know I need is money for, you know, <laughs> because I need to buy more things for the home. And uh, I don't want to ask anyone for cash. So uh, there is a nice department store that I like, which has lots of fancy little things in it that we're going to, we've asked for gift vouchers for. And then we'll go around and wow. we'll buy like spoons and towels and stuff. Sure. Sure, so. as you do. Well, you know, I, my, my tip to you, if you're worried about getting, giving gifts to other people is, um, because especially because of the configuration of the holidays this year, uh, consider Happy New Year gifts. That gives you an entire extra week. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> when you receive our Christmas card this year, Mike, you'll find, and that, there were air quotes there that you couldn't see, you'll find that it says Happy New Year, and we were like, extra week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you get just get a little bit more time. I don't know how uh, popular it would be around the dinner table, though. No, That's no true. gifts for anybody. I had considered uh, buying things for the home and dedicating them to people. Oh well, that's an interesting approach. You, yeah, thank you for for the top half of this blender. Yeah, it is the Aunt May Memorial Couch that we mm-hmm. bought here, so you'll be remembered forever, Aunt May. I don't have an Aunt May. I don't. No, Spider Man is the one Spider-Man who you're thinking of there. I don't oh, know my secret identity. Is Are you Spider Man, Mike? I'm... Are you Spider Man UK? <laughs> Uh, Banger Office is coming along though. Okay, I have furniture in here have, now. What's what's changed in the in the box? What's changed in the office? Uh, I have a chair, so I, I'm sitting down Good. this week because uh, mm-hmm. I was standing last week and I didn't yeah. enjoy standing for the entire episode. Um, and I have storage, so I have storage. I have this big storage cabinet. I went to been to IKEA a lot. I have this like shelved storage cabinet for all of my pens and notebooks and little bits and bobs. Uh, then I have a, a, a gaming center. I have all of my games consoles and board games and stuff. And then I have like oh. a general storage and I have drawers. I have a sticker drawer, of course. Uh, of course. I have a cable drawer um, and a power drawer. All sorts of cables and things. And, and I'm happy because it's all coming together. And uh, it is a 
big difference to have a dedicated place for me to be able to work in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. Th- that I, that I feeling is is really really nice, um, as opposed to just closing the door on the bedroom uh, and mm-hmm. that being the place. And once we get the the remaining parts of our furniture, I have a, a small sofa being delivered here for the office, and then we have a, a larger sofa for the front room. And once they're in, that's going to be really great because I like to do some work outside of the office environment. So like, you know, in the morning sure. and stuff, as I'm booting up, I will work in the front room on the big sofa. And then I have a sofa in here because I like to be able, because I'm a, an iPad worker. Um, mm-hmm. Desks aren't really the best. No, no, I keep thinking about that. I keep thinking about um, one of these days, seeing if I can find, I don't think they make them a uh, a little like a mount mounting arm for my iPad Pro so that I could use it sort of at the desk because I think that would be kind of fun, but they're, they're not made for that. Elevation really. Labs have just created a product called the Draft Table for iPad I saw Pro. That. I'm, I'm very tempted to try one of these because this would be how I could use it at a desk or a table more comfortably. So like I have a corner desk and I thought about having like the large side of my desk be the iMac part and then the smaller part of the desk being the ipad area um and this this draft table thing looks looks really nice um and i'm thinking about i'm thinking about maybe trying to get one of these and try it out but but yeah i i do find that working on the sofa is much nicer um for for using an ipad because you can recline and you can move around more easily and uh, the the ergonomics of of ios devices i think has yet to be fully discovered right like how people that work on them a lot feel with them over time um but one thing that i find for me that at least makes me feel feel more comfortable when i'm using my ipad is that i'm able to sit in many different areas on many different types of chairs and, and can make myself yeah. feel more comfortable that way and at least that's how i like to work so once everything's in that's going to be great but just right now this is like my place to record the shows and i was editing some video earlier and i was responding to some emails and i'm kind of setting it all up and i have some charging stations going in place and i i'm just very happy to finally have a dedicated workspace to call my own it's a great feeling yeah, it's a big deal to do that. I, I, you know, when we set up the office here in the garage, that was a big change for me to be able to not just sort of steal space in the mm-hmm. corner of the living room or in the bedroom. And yeah, I did my podcast recording in the bedroom. I would do writing in the bedroom, and like that—that's fine. Except you know, you know, that's not a that's not a private space in in any real way. And there's like stuff in there, and so then there are interruptions, and mm-hmm. you know, and then you go to bed, and you just you didn't leave, so that's not great either. So yeah, yeah. that's great. Uh, I have a piece of long term follow up for something Ooh. we spoke about a very long time ago, which was Amazon's drone delivery system, Prime ah, yes. Air. Um, I had no idea this was happening, but I saw some news um, over the end of the last week that Amazon have a trial, like a private trial going on in the UK with just a handful of customers. It's like two or three people right now where they're doing drone delivery. 
um, with the idea that I over the, the next the few months they're going to hope to uh, expand this out to, to, they say, dozens more people. So the reason this is happening in the United Kingdom is that drone regulations are more favorable for what Amazon are trying to do here. And there's two two specific things that, that are beneficial. One is that the, the UK air regulation system, I, I'm trying to find what it's actually called, but I can't find it. But let's just call it, let's call it the UK drone regulation system. That seems correct. Sure. Uh, that it is allowed for drones to fly out of public eyeline right which is a great thing so you don't have to see them or hear them because they can be flown commercially that at that kind of altitude and that also one person can control multiple drones at the same time now this is good for amazon like their their drones can sense and avoid obstacles so they say that the safety's there but apparently the FAA my understanding is they won't allow one person to control multiple drones so at that point it's kind of pointless for amazon Right, like you just have one person controlling one drone. I, I don't know how much that's really going to help them, um, other than just the speed. And I don't think they care about the speed so much. The speed is for us. For them, it's delivering things without, with with less human beings involved, less salaries to pay. I think that's Amazon's primary reason for doing this. But the first order was for an Amazon Fire TV stick and a bag of popcorn. And it arrived 13 minutes after the order was placed by the person. I think this is awesome. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. And and the video, because they, you know, Amazon was in the house and was yeah. at the launch site. And they had a drone following the drone, taking video of the drone. <laughs> but uh, but it was, it, and they're going over like fields. Yeah. And things like that. So you got the sense too that this is in a, this is in a uh, a, a not very densely no, populated this is in region, a, a more rural area, um, mm-hmm. and it looks like they're in a more rural area of the more rural area. They're in Cambridge in England, um, and and it and I think they've made the right choice. They, they, this is a place they they have a distribution center nearby. Um, there, it's like not very densely populated, so if there are any problems, it's less likely to to injure somebody. Um, and also their drone looks like it is covered in foam. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. So it's like it, more, it looks more like a, a flying foam box uh, than anything else. But um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm excited uh, about this. I remain excited about this. Uh, I think that this will be a cool thing whenever Amazon are able to do it. Uh, have you changed your mind at all on this, Jason? Uh, well, okay. So as I recall, what I said at the time was that it seemed impractical mm-hmm. <laughs> and I continue to believe it seems impractical, but boy, they're spending a lot of time on it. So I, I can see again in dense areas, it's, I have a, a lot harder time seeing this, but I could see this for delivery in less populated areas. Um, this makes more sense to me for people who live kind of out in the middle of nowhere to get things delivered to them that otherwise they, they might not have access to yeah. than it does for people in dense areas. Like if you're someplace where you don't have a, a nearby store, it's going to be a half an hour drive to find a to find a store and the store doesn't have very much in it. My sister-in-law lives in a place kind of like that. Then I can I can especially see the value of, of pro- providing access to something like this. But at that level, I'm not sure that there are enough people to, to make it worth the while of somebody like Amazon to serve them. So I just, I'm wondering what the sweet spot is. Is it suburbs maybe where where it's dense but not too dense so that there are lots of people but there's also still sort of room to maneuver. I don't know. It's I, it's fun that they're trying it and and not just sort of 
poo-pooing it, saying, no, let's try it. Maybe drones is, is, a, is a solution. There is one last piece of follow-up today. Uh, the upgradees are still available for voting in until the 23rd of December. That is when we're going to be shutting down the voting for the third annual upgradees. We've had many, many, many responses so far. Uh, over 350 people, over 350 upgradeans have submitted their responses. Uh, you can go in, you can vote for the choices that we have selected, um, or you can select your own nominations for the categories. And then me and Jason will be going through it all, and we will be using your votes as a way to help inform the winners. Um, as we mentioned before, I want to just make this very clear. This is not a, a, a democratic process. Uh, the, your the, your votes <laughs> as the Upgradians will be entered into helping me and Jason make the decision as to which item, company, thing will take home each Upgradie um, in the category. Yes. So uh, I continue to be very excited for this year's Upgradies. Yes. Please, please do that. We are so the the morning uh, Pacific time of Friday, the twenty third. Really, so if you're in the if you're in the U.S. by the end of Thursday, the twenty second, please get your votes in, um, and then that show will air on uh, January second. January, 2nd. or as I said, the first of the year. By which I mean January second. I had one other piece of uh, it's not quite follow up. This but, is follow uh, out. I, I just, We're into the follow out section now. I, I guess uh, I just wanted to mention because we talk. It's one of those things that there are people who read uh, our like read six colors and there are people who listen to this podcast and there are people who do both. But I, I think if you're a podcast listener and you're interested in how podcasts get made, you might be curious about this, even if you're not a regular reader of of uh, things written about technology on the Internet. So we'll put a link in the in the show notes. I did another editing video a couple of years ago. I did a video where I captured myself. Um, editing the incomparable and logic on my Mac just so that I had like a time-lapse version I could do saying like, here's how this looks. Here's the whole process. And I did that last week for an episode of Clockwise where I edited the whole episode on my iPad Pro using Ferrite and uh, I captured the whole thing and then I sort of annotated it and it most of it's in sort of uh, time-lapse mode, although I slow down at a few points to point out very specific things that I'm doing. So if you are curious about what it looks like to edit a podcast, especially edit a podcast on an iPad, uh, you can check that out because I, I thought that would be a useful document to have. So it's that's what it is. You know what I would love? I'm, I'm fascinated by the video and the reason that I would love this is because I want to get better with using something like Ferrite is to see what you're doing. I, you know, I gave some thought to setting up like a camera behind me, mm -hmm. taking, uh, looking at my hand gestures and stuff while I was editing it and sync it with the capture. And I may do that at some point, but for this one, I didn't have the time or, you know, will to do that. Yeah. No, I get that. Cause that's a, that's quite a production. It's it's a complicated setup to do. Well, I mean, I, I got, I've got a you know tall tripod that I can put over my shoulder, and you know, but it means that I I need to hold the iPad steady mm -hmm. instead of like you know like you were saying, you can kind of shift it around and be comfortable with it, and you know, I would have to I would have to make sure of the angles and all that. It's just more complicated, but I may do that at some point because yeah, what you can't see in a, an iOS video is like the the uh, the hand gestures and things like that that are that are happening behind the scenes. All right, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Encapsula. Encapsula is a cloud service that makes your website faster and safer, and they have a worldwide network that will inspect every packet 
that comes and goes from your website, making sure to block attacks against your site whilst also delivering your content to your customers faster and faster. Encapsula does all of this because they have 30 data centers with two terabits of bandwidth located all over the world. This network that they have developed and continue to maintain will sit between your servers and your customers. It routes and filters traffic. And because it does this, it can stop any attack traffic. It can scrape bots, making sure denial of service attacks never make it to your servers, and also cache your content and optimize connections using their powerful CDN. So your users will also get your content lightning fast. Encapsula's custom software and servers plus their 24-7 operations team keep everything running for you. And when, you know, when you're thinking about it, you run a website, you run some sort of property online, and things like the holiday season start to come up, these services are great, but if they're closed over important periods of time, especially if you own a store, you know, like people are buying things over Christmas, you want to make sure that this stuff stays up, and you also want to make sure that if you've got any problems that you've got somebody to talk to. And a 24-7 support team at Encapsula will do that for you. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you'll find out more and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, so uh, it is Monday, the 19th of December today. Today is the day in which people are able to get their hands on AirPods. They are available in very limited supply in Apple retail stores, and many people are receiving deliveries today. I My AirPods are out for delivery right now. They may even arrive before the end of the episode. Mm. But some people out there in the world, the the lucky few, have had them for longer than that. And Jason Snell, you are one of those people. I am. There he goes, clicking his little case. My little floss case thing. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, when did you get the AirPods? How much time have you have to spend with them? I got them, I want to say Thursday. I just I just stuck one in my ear. But oh, you nice. probably couldn't hear that. Nope, yeah. didn't hear it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not using them for this podcast. I got them, yeah, I want to say Thursday. And have been using them, you know, on and off ever since. Walking the dog and and stuff like that, and cooking, um, doing the dishes, all that, all that sort of thing. So yeah, spending time with them. Now you're an interesting case for these because you use very specific type of headphones most of the time, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I'm usually using. Well, it's less true than it was. I um, I usually use in ear monitors, so they're. You know, they they custom silicone things shaped to the shape of my ear that they that they go in, so they're like they block the sound and all of that. For being out in the world, I have a pair of Bluetooth headphones that are uh, basically earbuds. They're sort of canal phones, but they're they're they they don't go in very far. They're the the Bluebird uh, or yeah, Bluebuds, Jaybird Bluebuds, something like that, and uh, they're fine. They they're you know they're traditional. Um, They've got a cord between them, right? That, that's yep. a big difference that the yep. that the earpods have over over those kinds of things. The earpods are in this new category where there are a handful of products now where each individual earbud is its own thing. So I've been using those um, the blue buds out in the world for walking the dog and running and things like that for the last year plus. I kind of got them because I wanted a set of Bluetooth headphones to ch- test with iOS and with the watch and stuff like that. And so that I've been using those. So I have not been using my, you know, block out all the sound so I can't hear when that person is coming up behind me 
to run into me with their bicycle. Yeah. Um, I haven't been, I haven't been doing that for a while now. So that's my, you know, so it wasn't as big of a, a transition to go to these as it would have been if I hadn't been using the other Bluetooth headphones. Having used these for a few days, and I have a lot of specific questions for you, but one thing that I'm wondering about is, have you kind of really understood why Apple decided to make these as two separate earbuds unconnected? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, I, I will get into this when I'm, this is great because I haven't written my review yet. So these, thank you for working. This is like my little review therapy here. So, so, so these, we're workshopping. With me. We're workshopping. We are. We're workshopping. That happens from time to time. Um, well, the Blue Buds. So the Blue Buds are really nice uh, Bluetooth headphones. They're not cheap. And you have two configurations you can wear them in. You can either wear them where the, um, the you know, they go in your ears and the little cable that connects them that's got a clicker on it dangles down in front of you, almost like a necklace or something. Yeah. And this is the same as Jaybird's newer ones like the X2 and the X3. Yeah. I mean, this is how you... You have to do it. They're one unit, so they have to be, even though the little things are in your ears, they're not really wireless in the sense that there is a wire running between them. So you can do that. And then, and what I found when I started doing that was, and we talked about it on the show, is that they bounced around and it was kind of annoying. And if I ran, they they really bounced around and it was super annoying. Um, and a listener to Upgrade said, well, I mean, that's why they shipped that little plastic clip with it is so that you can basically fold the cable back on itself um, until it's very short and then you wear them behind your head yeah, and you adjust it so that they're, they're basically you plug them into your ears and then they run and then, you know, they run behind your head and connect and there's no slack. It's, it's all just, you know, there's nothing to bounce around because it's just sort of like sitting on the back of your head. And I moved mine to that configuration and was a lot happier. Now there are downsides to that, which is the button is now behind your head. The microphone is behind your head. So if somebody calls you, you can't really talk to them using this approach. But for activity, especially running, but even walking, it made it feel a lot more like I didn't have this wire bouncing around. But, you know, so that was better but it still had drawbacks and you know and that's the bottom line is that the most natural way to have wireless headphones is to have them not or or wireless earbuds anyway is to have them not connected to each other because um right because you think wireless you're thinking i stick something in this ear i stick something in that ear and that's it not i stick something in this ear and that ear with a cable connecting them and it's a it makes a big difference it really does yeah, see, I don't know if I would have ever imagined this design. And and I've never used headphones like this. You know, I've I've always used headphones that either have a piece of plastic in between them or or a cable connecting them. Like this wouldn't have been um what I would have ever imagined Apple's Bluetooth headphones to really be. You know, I was expecting something that would have like a little cable and you know, we spoke about this a long time ago that you don't yeah. plug and you'd plug it into a lightning port, you know, and you'd charge it that way. That's what I always thought. And and maybe it's because I've never used a, a Bluetooth earbud before like that. So I, I didn't maybe understand the shortcomings of uh, the, the, the frustrations of still having a cable. But the, the, the problem is like the down, what, what you gain in upside presents new downsides. And I guess the new downsides is they're easier to lose, right? I mean, this is they've they've got to be surely easier to lose. 
Certainly. I mean, there are two of them. So your chance of misplacing one of them goes up because <laughs> yeah. you, know, you have to keep track of two. I, I saw somebody on Twitter today say that like literally they dropped their their one of the uh, AirPods down the down the drain <laughs> first thing. I mean, you do have to be careful with them. I had I dropped one. I forget where I dropped one, but I dropped one. And I thought, wow, that would have been. Oh, it was while I was picking up uh, picking up my dog's poop. And I and oh, no. I dropped one of them, and it went. It didn't go in the poop. Everybody, it's okay. Excellent. But it went. In, but it went in the news. tall grass. It went yeah. in the tall grass, and I had to like search around in the tall grass. Um, but the good news is they don't. They don't. We can come back to this maybe, but they don't fall out like uh, on the drop of a hat. They actually don't fall out very much at all. If I mean, I, basically, I was falling. I had things falling out because I was bumping them. Not because they just naturally wiggled out of my ears. So yeah. that's the difference. But yes, there is more of an opportunity to lose them than if they're tied together. Mm-hmm. Because that then you've got one long, you know, headphone object instead of two little tiny floating <laughs> earbud objects. Um, so so yeah, that that is that is true. And when I think about um, when the headphones or earphones fall out for me. Funnily enough, the time when it happens the most is when I might be on public transport and somebody catches their arm on the cable. So, like, it, right. a lot of the time when I may lose an earbud, actually, it wouldn't happen um, for that reason. And that goes, that connects to the reason that they don't fall out. I mean, I, I think um, the big change here in terms of, like, the physics of headphones is that without the cables pulling down whether you're thinking of a, a different set of of a wireless headphones that are connected to one another or if you're thinking about a set of wired headphones the cable stretching down um, or stretching across is exerting a force and these earpods don't have the cable so they don't have that down force that's trying to pull them out of your ears along the length of that whole cable going down to wherever the cable is connected and it makes a difference it makes a big difference in terms of feel and in terms of uh comfort with the um you know the stability of them that they that they that they stay put in a way that i have never found apple earbuds to stay put before yeah this isn't necessarily something that I would have assumed either, right? That the cable is presenting some kind of force. No, you know? not, not. I mean, it is, but I, I never would have thought that it was a substantial enough thing to make a, a dramatic difference yeah. in the feel of the of the earbuds in your ears and the likelihood that they're going to fall out. But it's interesting that that's clearly a thing. And uh, I've put in the show notes a GIF that you created that you posted on Twitter of you shaking your head side to side. Oh, good. And they wouldn't, they didn't come out. And it's no. a great GIF of you. Uh, <laughs> for so many reasons, it's just fantastic. I make GIFs on the internet now. That's what I do. That's my job now. Mm-hmm. It's your gob now, I think. Isn't that how it works? Who knows? Sure. Uh, and so it looks like that there is an, an element of. Because it doesn't look like they've changed the design too much, right? Like they look just like earpods. Oh yeah, the in ear, the the you know in your ear next to your ear part is exactly the same as far as I can tell. But it's in terms of the they shape. are um, they're lighter, I guess, and they have less force being applied to them, which means that they're more likely to stick in the ear, which is great. And I guess you know the heaviest part is what's resting inside of your ear, uh, so I guess that's why they're they're sticking in. So it's that's interesting. Um, what do you think about the size of them? Because every time I look at a picture, the stems look weird. They look weird. They look weird to me. 
I I guess it takes some getting used to. Um, that's I mean I sort of feel like that's a problem for other people because you don't see them. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting way to look at it. It's like other people have to look at them, but you don't have to because they're in your ears and you can't sure. see them there. Sure. But um, they are they are, you know, they're they're noticeably different because the the um the the beams or whatever you want to call them the the long part um is uh, thicker than a than a cable running to a pair of of ear pods, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it, it's. I don't know. It just is different. It's not. It's not dramatic, but it is. It, it's definitely different. And they have to have that. You know that extension part down. That's where the microphone is. Um, you know. But and you need something to hold on to. I mean, that's really the part that you grab and and pull it out of your ear too. Yeah. Yeah. Using uh, using that that part there. But uh, it, it's going to take some getting used to. For you know, people who've never seen them before, they're gonna like, oh, that looks different. You don't have cables running out of yours. You just have these, you know, these things that stop, and that's what they look like, right? They look like they're they're beginning to progress down like a cabled version would, and then they're just there's no more cable after that. I remember, uh, I I expect I'm going to have the exact same feeling about wearing these in public as I did when I got my first iPhone and my first Apple Watch. The kind of uncomfortable feeling of People are going to be looking at me and they're going to either think that that thing is weird or they're going to know what it is and they're going to keep looking because you won't miss these things, I don't think. I had the same feeling walking the dog, the same exact feeling, which is I'm on the dog path. I'm like, you know, if somebody knows what these are, they will, you know, they will spot that I've got them and know that I have the new Apple AirPods and, uh, that will happen for a little while because this is kind of, it's not new tech, but because it's from Apple, it will be much more broadly seen tech than, than uh, it's it's new the, enough. Like the yeah. idea of earphones that are, are not connected. Well, you know, you know the idea that yeah, th- I, I just wanted to make that point that it's these aren't first, right? There are others out there that yep. do this, but this is going to be the one that most people will have the first interaction with. Yeah, this is going to be widely adopted, and the others are exactly. Not. Exactly, and popularized by Apple. And so that's going to change, you know, if you get these, you're going to have those conversations with people like, oh, are those, you know, are those earphones? Are those Apple earphones? How does that work? There's no cord, you know, plus you will be spotted as like, you've got a, you know, you've got one of those. Just like, you know, when the Apple Watch came out, it was like that too. And when you had an iPod with iPod headphones, it was like that too. Like all of these scenarios where you get something that's kind of new looking and you wear them out in public that you're going to get that, you know, some people are going to recognize it. Other people will not notice at all because a lot of people don't notice things. And that's, yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk about Star Wars later. <laughs> uh, when I, whenever I leave the house, um, I, I take my earpods with me. They're always just, they just go in my pocket. And so I'm ready at a moment's notice to listen to something yeah. if I want to, because that's just the kind of person that I am. I assume many of our listeners are exactly the same, right? The, who would want to listen to Street Sounds when you could be listening to Jason Snell talk about Star Wars, right? Why would, exactly. Why would you do that? Why would you ever do that? Is carrying that little case more or less convenient? Because it's definitely <sighs> more bulk than a, than a coiled pair of headphones, but yeah. it's also not a mess of wires in your pocket yeah well i I, you you described it perfectly right there which is it's more bulk than just stuffing some headphones in your pocket um although i guess an argument could be made that since it's this little you know little 
plastic packet, um, you have more awareness of where it is. Where sometimes I'm like, oh, I still have my headphones in my pocket. Like, oh, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mean to bring those with me. Like with this, you're like, okay, I know where it is. I know where my headphones are. They're in my bag. They're in my pocket. They are wherever they are. But it is more bulk and a little more weight. Uh, so, but they don't get tangled. Right, it's just See, different. You never like you. You don't have to take your headphones out of your pocket and then untangle them first. You just open the little box and pop them out. Right, like that's right. that's one of the big differences. Now, this case, in case people don't know, I mean, it's, it's been a while really since we talked spoken about these in in much depth. The little case also has a battery in it, and it charges yes. the the uh, AirPods. I keep it's so difficult to keep AirPods and AirPods right in my brain. I know. The, the the battery inside of the case charges the AirPods when you put them inside. Um, yes. What is the battery life like on the AirPods themselves? Um, you know, as them singularly and together, and also when you combine the case, like how does that all look? Because it's a big picture of these three different things, isn't it? Like each individual AirPod has a battery life, and then also yes. the case does as well, and they work together. Yes. Uh, you know, Apple's quoting five hours on a charge, and I think that is, uh, that's about right. I've used them some, and I was looking at some other reviews, like Susie at Macworld posted her review today and said that she, you know, she would run them for five hours and they'd still have 10%, 15% battery life. That, that seems about right. Um, and then there's, and then there's the case, and you can top up your charge by sticking them back in the case, which is, uh, which is nice because I think the idea there is um, that you're probably not just having your headphones stuck in for more than five hours straight. I mean, this is uh, this was a conversation I think on maybe on ATP. I think I remember Casey talking about this, and it's the same thought of like, you know, at some point for a few minutes, you're going to be able to take your your headphones out or you're going to need to take your headphones out and interact with another human being. Probably. Even if it's just uh, eating your meal on the plane, right? <laughs> There's probably something that you could do without those headphones in. And the the way that the, it's kind of interesting because of the way that the product is made, you would always put it in the case because they're so small. Right, exactly. You you don't you're not just going to leave them. Yeah, although I mean, when you talk about carrying around the case, the other thing is if you're not um, if you're not going to be using them for more than five hours, you could also just stick them in your pocket and not carry them in the case. You could do that, and that would probably be okay. But uh, if you stick them in the case for 15 minutes, Apple says that's three hours of battery life. I didn't get to test that scientifically, but you know, I would just. One of the challenges for me was most of the time I would just naturally, when I was done listening to them, pop them in the case. And so, you know, it would, without concerted effort to drain the battery, you know, they would immediately charge back up. And the next time I used them, they were back at 100%. And then the case itself has a little lightning connector on the bottom. So you plug it in to a lightning cable, you know, the same lightning cable you plug into your iPhone or your Magic Trackpad or whatever. You just plug that in and it charges back up. And Apple says that the that uh, you can get twenty four more than twenty four hours of of playtime uh, if you walk away with the ear with the AirPods and the case fully charged, you've got more than twenty four hours of playtime before you have to connect it to get more power. And how does it work on a battery indicators perspective? Like, how am I notified of low battery on either the AirPods or the um, the case? Well, um, so the case has a uh, a little light that goes on that tells you 
uh, charging status. Are they charged? Are they charging? Um, and which which is one of those little green amber things that colorblind people have a hard time seeing. So that's awesome. And it's just a <laughs> light that says something. Who knows? It's what a it light. Says. I I take you know them at their word that it must mean something. Anyway, uh, the the uh, device will tell you what the battery level is. You know, your iPhone will tell you, your Mac will tell you what the battery level is of the AirPods when you've got them in the AirPods. And um, when they are down to like 10% battery or something, they make a little, uh, they make a little sad noise. It's like, do they pop up a (laughs) notification on the connected device like an Apple Pencil does? When you open the charger near the device it slides up a little thing that tells you what the current status of the charger and the and the mm. uh, airpods are but from from your use you've not seen like 20 percent battery remaining or whatever oh yeah yeah you get oh, you get that, that you good. get that notification That's you good. can see the battery remaining in the in the headphones on the mac and on ios and then it shows up in the little widget and stuff like that right the little widget that's it's, in iOS. It's, I, I think so. I, yeah. I don't know if I've connected them to my... I see that one on my iPad more, and I'm not sure if I've connected them to my iPad. I did connect them to my Mac and, you know, con- and toggled them back and forth. And it all it, it all just gets picked up automatically on modern um, iOS and yeah. uh, devices and Macs because of iCloud. So I didn't need to repair. As soon as I paired them with my phone, um, they, they automatically uh, showed up on my Mac. How did you find that? That was just absolutely seamless i mean i found that what to be that way with the power beats or yep. no the solo three or whatever they're called the the, the beat yep. solo threes um i assume you have to be running seamless. os 10 ios 10 and sierra i assume yeah beyond behind so if you're if you're using older operating systems or non-compatible hardware then you have to do a bluetooth pair basically which is you press the button on the back of the little case and it shows up as a Bluetooth device, and you pair it. And then in that scenario, I think the way it works is that if it's actively playing to one device, um, it doesn't want you to hijack it. But if you take them out and and then wait five seconds or something like that, it knows that they're not being actively used, then you can connect from the other device. I actually paired them with uh, a Nexus 5X Android phone, and they worked, again, worked just fine. Um, the double tap gesture in that scenario is just play pause. That's if there's no secret sauce, that's what they've done is they've, it's just, they're, they're just Bluetooth headphones and there's a double tap for, um, for play pause. And you don't have to do the little pairing button thing when you originally set it up, right? Right. I open the box and it says, Hey, I found some ear pods, uh, some AirPods. Do you want me to, um, connect them or something i took a screenshot of it but it's very um it's very much what you'd expect from that experience which since apple has laid its own stuff on top of the standards it allows apple to write lots of uh fancy slash cute uh ui that says things like uh you know airpods with a big button that says connect and that's it and an x <laughs> so you can be like nope don't want those or you can go yeah sure and that's it that's that's it okay that's the whole thing that's pretty standard then and then for everything else it works perfectly right so you get like the standard bluetooth pairing as normal and then you get the special apple pairing system with the w1 chip for ios and mac os devices 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just, yeah. If you're on a device whose hardware and software supports the sort of secret layer, you get the super easy connection, pairing, syncing stuff. And then if you're on hardware that doesn't support that, then you kind of go back to press the button, start going to pairing mode, you know, pair the device, but you know, it still works. Fair enough. Um, what about the control of audio? <laughs> can you talk to me a little bit about what is going on there, kind of a standard, and what you can change? Uh, sure. Um, the So they've got this accelerometer built into them, and the idea there is that there are... What are the gestures? So if there's no clicker, right? There's no volume up, no volume down, no no clicker for play pause. Or, or triple tap or you can't do any of those things so there are basically two gestures that are that you can do with these things and one of them is take one out of your ear which is a gesture it's a user interface gesture and it's actually one of the the, the things that i think is the most clever about these uh, these headphones is number one gesture it, you know play pause is take one out of your ear works great and put it back in continues to play and to clear so, up something like this is only you, it only plays music if you've already paused music, right? Like the, the yeah. music doesn't begin as soon as I put earpods in my ear for the first time in the morning. Exactly right. It, it's just it's just like um, yeah. The, I mean that's right. The, the the it behaves more or less like you'd expect headphones to behave, which is if you pause something and then and then you you know, within a reasonable amount of time in the, in that context, even if it's, you know, minutes, pop it back in, it starts to play again. But in the morning, you know, if you wake up and put them in and they connect for the first time, they don't just start playing whatever is randomly playing on your iPhone. You need to tell it to start playing something. But, um, but it is in, in that, uh, interim state, like I was walking down the, uh, this has always happened with, uh, with my Bluetooth, uh, the, the Blue Buds, which was, um, you know, I'm walking down the path with the dog and somebody's coming the other way and I want to, if they say something to me, I want to hear what they're saying and, and yep. not just have podcasts blaring over them. And that used to be like, I'd reach back behind my head to find the clicker or I would use my Apple Watch or I'd pull my phone out of my pocket, but something to pause and and, and I would take the earbud out, right? And with the with the AirPods, I just take one of them out as I'm walking by the person. And if they talk then i can hear them and if they don't talk and we walk past them i just pop it right back in and that's it that's my entire uh interface gesture so that pauses both ears right like both ears oh, yeah. get paused when you take one out mm -hmm. but you can listen with just one ear right you can just you can if you want to you can play with just one and it just powers one and it routes mono audio to that one right instead of stereo it's very interesting yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, it's pretty clever. So that's gesture number one, and gesture number two is using the accelerometer. If you tap twice on the uh, on the device on on either earbud, it will trigger by default Siri, mm -hmm. and you can also set that in the Bluetooth settings to trigger nothing or play pause. So you can have two two play pauses. I mean, uh, that's yeah. probably how I'm going to set it up. Honestly, have it as be play pause as well. Uh, because I don't really, I don't really want to talk to Siri, um, honestly, <laughs> to to change songs and change volume. Uh, uh, yeah. I will either feel for buttons or I'll use my Apple Watch. I was thinking, it, it every now and then you see these 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 little things which show a disconnect inside of Apple, um, and I think that 
some of the changes with the Apple Watch, with the AirPods coming out, shows that. Like, it now more than ever do we need to be able to get quick access to music controls on the Apple I Watch. Know. And I was thinking, why why can't there be a two-pane control center on the Apple Watch? One is all of the little buttons that they have, and then one is audio. I, I, I can't right, like work on the iPhone. that out. Yeah, like like on on on, the iPhone, on iOS. Like, I, yep. anyway, I hope that that's something that they then bring back again because it's it that will be the best way I think to control the AirPods. It's just to to tap the play pause there to use the crown to put volume up and down. What I'll assume I'll be doing for volume controls is reaching for my phone if it's nearby and using it there, or I'll yep. open the thing on the Apple Watch. Um, I don't I don't want to say. Ahoy telephone, volume down. You don't have to say ahoy telephone because you double tap. So it's double tap, volume down. But I think this is exactly it. I think that the biggest flaw in the AirPods is, is Siri. Um, or to put it another way, is reliance on Siri. Like reliance on Siri as like the place that you just dump... We don't want to do it, so let's just have Siri do it. You, you kind of put all of your complexity, all of your uh, edge cases, you know, everything else just gets dumped into Siri. And there are a few problems with that. Part of it is, yeah, you know what? If I'm sitting on the uh, on the on the subway and I want to make the music louder, I'm not going to double tap on my ear and say volume up. But as you point out, not that you even could if you wanted to, because Siri doesn't work without an internet connection. And that's the other part of it. So first off, there's the the whole thing also that Siri still really wants you to look at the screen. And so, you know, it doesn't help if you ask Siri something on those things. And they're like, look what I found for you. You're like, look where? Where am I looking? It's like, pick out your phone (laughs) and look. It's in front of you. (laughs) It's not helpful. But uh, but yeah, you you mentioned it there, which, which is if you're on the subway and you're somewhere where there isn't an internet connection, it doesn't work. And this baffles me because they built voice control into iOS way before they built Syrian. And voice control was really dumb. Voice control had a very limited feature set, but it let you control your media playback. It let you control music and stuff. It let you call people. Yeah, it let you call people in your address book. It would scan your address book and it would it, it would know what those names were and it would know what was in your music library and it would like it would be able to do it was a rudimentary kind of thing before there was Siri to do voice control. But the way it works now, if you lose your internet connection, it doesn't go back to voice control. It goes nowhere. And so if you are somewhere without an internet internet connection, you're out in the country somewhere and you're running and you say you double tap, volume louder, it can't help you. It won't do it. And that's really dumb because the device should be able to do that. But take it back a step, which is this is also a design decision to say all we're going to do is play pause and punt to Siri. And I think that's a, that, that's a mistake. I, I think that is the biggest flaw in these things is, okay, you've got that accelerometer in there. Maybe you need more gestures or maybe you did need a button on it or maybe you needed some other kind of touch interface or maybe you need the ability to differentiate since most people will be listening to both ears maybe you need the ability to have a different gesture in your left ear than your right ear i know that's wacky and most people wouldn't do it but for for some the ability to like have your next track on the left and your and your uh and your play pause on the right or something like that it would be more gestures it would be more ways of controlling this thing without having to open a watch or open a phone, which mm-hmm. is, I think, the ideal here. And right now, it, it you know, it, its vocabulary as awesome as the take the earbud out to pa- 
pause and then put it back into play is. That is such a great feature. That is a a really amazing sort of real world connected UI gesture. I really like it. I think it's super smart. But the, you know, or double tap and do everything else. Like, yeah, no. Like, if I want to make my volume a little louder, double tap and shout volume loud just seems dumb i like i i would yeah. like another i it oh if there was only something to do or to advance to the next track or to skip ahead or anything like that also series uh control of other um media apps is more limited so if you're not listening to the music app you're more limited in what you can do although you can still control like system volume and things like that i don't know it's 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 an amazing piece of tech, and I think the answer to why it does why it punts so much to Siri is probably that they were they were really limited in what they were capable of doing with this product because it, it is packing so much tech into so many places, and there's probably not room to create some sort of button or touch surface or all that. But even if the the uh, accelerometers were uh, separately programmable or supported a triple tap or supported a single tap, although single tap it might like. They might have to discard all of those because it's too uh, prone to error. <laughs> but a double tap, you can you can get that. But then let's let's do a triple tap. And again, most people won't triple tap, but that could be something. I don't know. That's that's the that's the limitation here because while the Apple Watch is not a bad remote for this, um, it is you know it, you you do have to wake it up and press the dock button and make sure that you're tapped into the now playing, and then you can spin the volume control. Also, by the way, Watch OS update. That lets you perhaps optionally just at the watch face spin the crown to change the volume on your audio device. How about that? That would be nice. I'd, I I would love that. But even so, you know that is relying on an Apple Watch. So uh, you know not everybody's going to have one of those. The, the Apple Watch isn't a mandatory uh, AirPod accessory. I would bet the people that are buying AirPods right now, there's probably quite a lot of them also on an Apple Watch. Sure. Sure, but you want this to be. I mean, there are way more people with iPhones than there are with Apple Watches. This is a sure. much, uh, you know, it's a less expensive product. It's got a broader audience. Ultimately, there will be, I think, more AirPods out there than Apple Watches. I do think that. Um, so overall, what's your take on this? Have, have Apple delivered? Yeah, I think it's a really good product. I mean, I really do. I think this is um, for people who've been um, gro- groaning and grousing a lot about uh, Apple's direction and has Apple lost it and what is Apple focused on. I look at this and I think this is the kind of product that we expect from Apple. And although it's got flaws, like I just went on about for five minutes about like punting to Siri, because I think Siri, you know, there are lots of issues there. The fact is they work really well the play pause the most important gesture which is the play pause gesture works perfectly they stay in sync i had over the course of many hours of listening i had a couple momentary out of syncs where where like on a podcast where a voice would get slightly echoey for like half a second and then go back that happened like twice in hours and hours and hours and it was momentary it was like a little blip basically so in keeping these two devices in sync in your ears so that your brain you know your brain will sync audio from the left ear and the right ear pretty well up to a point and then beyond that point it gives up and uh uh whatever apple's doing to make sure that those audio streams are running in parallel it it worked very well so very effective some amazing technology packed into these things they sound pretty good that i had forgotten 
you know, I, I think I'm still blaming the um, blaming the earpods for the sins of the original Apple earbuds because um, I don't I went back to earpods and I listened to them. At, at some point, I bought better headphones, right? So I stopped bothering to listen to earpods. But uh, for this, I went back and listened to earpods, and they sound very similar to the sound of the AirPods. They they're, they may sound exactly the same for all I know, but I don't want to say that they they sound to me they sound basically the same. Um, and it sounds pretty good. Like I was surprised at how good. And I, I threw, I threw songs that I know really well that have, uh, lots of bass on them that have sort of sneaky bass on them that have, uh, lots of, uh, lots of range. And I was surprised. I mean, if somebody's super finicky and can only listen to music with uh, high end headphones, then, you know, they're going to not love these because they're not going to love anything that sounds like this. But I would say, um, even even me with my more expensive headphones that I've been buying since I was driven away from the really cheap, lousy iPod headphones in the beginning, um, I was impressed. Like I would listen to music on these happily. Um, they're, they're they're I think they're good enough, you know, for most people. Like Apple Apple's never going to be able to please everybody. We've been talking about that for the last month or two, but they have chosen you know the the vast I think majority of people. Uh, who care about this stuff, who who listen to music and podcasts and things on their iPhone will be made happy by this, this product. So, so yeah, I think in the end, it's pretty terrific, even though it's definitely got some flaws. Um, I'm, I'm impressed. And having spent some time with some of the competition, um, I'm, I am similarly impressed because like, I'm happy that I've spent a year walking around with a Jaybird, um, headphones because that has given me a perspective on how much nicer it is to not have that cord running between them next week i will say what i think of them yeah we had we didn't get the call during the broadcast nope yeah yeah they haven't been delivered and even if they had been delivered you couldn't actually use them so i i am looking forward to your to a second opinion in our uh in our special boxing day episode yep next week that'll be that'll be fun and i am and this is as somebody who uses earpods every day Right. Well, see, that's the thing is that you you have this experience and I don't. Oh, yeah. I had one other thing. People kept asking me, does it hurt in when you wear them in your ears after a while? And and I had two answers to that, which is one, everybody's ears are different. It's, tr- it's the truth. Everybody's ears are shaped differently. Everybody's going to have a different reaction. So if my ears hurt or don't hurt, it doesn't say anything about if your ears will hurt or don't hurt. My my personal experience is that the first time I went out with them to walk the dog, um, I after a while, my right ear started to hurt. But what I realized is I actually needed to reset the the AirPod a little bit. It was kind of straight up and down. And I kind of tilted it so that the, the little beam at the bottom of it was pointing more toward my neck instead of like straight down at the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, sh- it just, it, I was like, oh, this may not be set, sitting right in my ear. And so I just repositioned it to what felt like a more comfortable position. I've been wearing them in that position since and have not had any more problems. So I think some of that was, I, you know, essentially I was wearing it wrong. <laughs> but uh, I found a comfortable spot and they haven't bothered me. This week's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at FreshBooks. So... Let's imagine this. I'm sure many of you feel this way. You're racing against the clock. You're trying to wrap up the 17 projects you have, especially at this time of the year, prepping for a meeting later on this afternoon and so you can get ready for the Christmas party. Welcome to life as 
a freelancer. The life can be challenging, but our friends at FreshBooks believe that the rewards are worth it, and they build tools to make those challenges easier. The working world is a really different place these days. With the growth of the internet, there are more opportunities for the self-employed. There are opportunities now that exist that could never have existed before, like the jobs that me and Jason have, for example. Hello. They just wouldn't have existed, but the internet nope. is changing that. And because of this, we need new tools to help us get paid and manage our finances in new and interesting ways with companies that have similar sensibilities. This is what FreshBooks has been working tirelessly to create with their all-new version of their cloud accounting software. The new FreshBooks has been redesigned from the ground up. It's custom-built to work exactly the way that you do. You'll be able to more... You'll be able to be more productive and organized whilst also being paid quickly. Five days faster, actually. Oh, now it's four days faster. I just heard a, a note in my ear, a quick update. FreshBooks customers now get paid up to four days faster, and I have no doubt it's because of their incredible new software, which is so easy to use. You'll be able to create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds in a WYSIWYG interface, so you will see the invoices exactly how your client is going to see them. You'll be able to set up online payments in just a couple of clicks, and you'll see when your client has seen your invoice, no more guessing games, no more chaser emails. And FreshBooks have an all-new notification system, which you could think of as your personal finance assistant. Every time you log into FreshBooks, you get an update on what's changed with your business and what needs your Attention. All of these new features are coupled with a beautiful redesign, which is focused around the idea of how is my business doing? No more guessing games about what's owed or overdue. It's presented clearly and simply to you. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of this show. Just go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and please enter upgrade in the how you heard about us section so FreshBooks knows that you came to them from this show. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of upgrade and relay fm okay let's talk about battery life on the laptops the apple laptops on the macbooks so there has been mixed reports about (laughs) the battery life of the macbook pro with touch bar um they vary wildly some people say it's the best ever some people say it's fine some people say this is an unmitigated disaster there could be a million reasons why that's happening. Quite frankly, nobody knows why the battery life is varying so much. There are many yeah. theories. You know, there yes, are theories there are about theories. Ab- about uh, graphics cards and processors. <laughs> cards. Here we go. Mike's out. Sure, depth whatever. Again. The uh, external graphics cards in the MacBook Pro. Now, mm-hmm. There's a great conversation about this in MacBook slot? Pro. Is that a new slot? Is that in a, is that in a new so. bus or a PCI? Or yeah, a, yeah. It's the Express or one. A, mm-hmm. Uh, Express so card slot. Yeah. Depending on whether you have the integrated or dedicated, oh, I'm I'm ruining this. I'm ruining this. I n- can discrete. never remember the difference between integrated uh, and discrete. See, because those words they don't make anyway. There are there are different graphics cards uh, in the MacBook Pros, and some people think that depending on what the the load is, it's it's running that way. There is there is some thought in all of the things that macOS does now, especially with stuff like Photos and all of the things that it does in the background. The same things that destroy your iOS's battery life on the first day, right? But there yep. seems to be persistent and unknown issues with these computers. So there has been an update to Sierra which has maybe improved battery life for some of these with some bug fixes. Maybe. But what it has also done is take away 
the time remaining from the battery indicator. So previously you click the battery indicator in the menu bar and it would show you the percentage and how long is left of the battery. So right. using your battery, you know, using your MacBook now, at the current rate you're using it, you would get two hours of battery life or you might get 10 hours of battery life. That has been removed for all laptops now. Now, there are many schools of thought as to why this thing is being removed. There are people that are claiming, uh, well, I mean, again, I don't know enough about the internals of this, but there are people that are claiming that the API is wrong and has been wrong for years and is unreliable. But no matter what the reason, the timing is terrible. This goes back to some other things that have been knocking around recently as to Apple making decisions that seem peculiar from a PR perspective, with the other being designed by Apple in California. You know, everybody was upset about the MacBook and like where the focus of the Mac was, and then they released a $300 photo book. Now everybody's upset about battery life. Apple have removed the time remaining from the MacBook battery life indicator. It just seems strange. Now, what it looks like, um, and my feeling on this is what is actually happening here, is the way that Apple will fix the battery life is to remove the battery indicator. It's just, yeah. this, is, this is the fix for now. It's like they can't get a handle on it. Maybe that the, the combination of the battery not being great plus the API not being as clear as it could be makes the situation seem even worse than it already is. So the Band-Aid solution is to remove that functionality. Have I done an, a decent job of at least summing it up and giving my own opinion? So there is yeah. definitely that in there. My I, own I, opinion. I think is you in did. There. I think you did. I I think the that is that is it's very easy to connect the dots and see it that way. Which is, oh, so you got a problem with our battery life? Well, now you won't know it. <laughs> so good luck. <laughs> I think <laughs> what you don't know right? doesn't hurt you. <laughs> yeah, I think the reality is that the battery life indicator has been progressively less accurate over time and somebody at apple got frustrated that they were being called out either that they were being called out or the more charitable thing would be that customers were confused by this battery life indicator that was increasingly especially on the new macbooks really not accurate um and you know, like you said, there are a lot. Of, there are a lot of theories. I think the reality is, and last week's ATP did a good job of going over a lot of these issues in in detail, and they know the difference between discrete and integrated. So, yeah, if you want to, if you want to listen to people that know the difference between those two <laughs> things, don't listen to me. Don't listen to Mike, but listen to listen to John and, and Marco and Casey. I so try. I really try. There are just I know there I, are just you, some you gave things it a go. you gave it a go. I don't care it's enough all, about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, the you know. The when when ATP talks about script or uh, programming languages, that's when I pass out and mm-hmm. hit my head. So, anyway, um, the theory that I subscribe to is that Apple has been doing a whole lot of work over the last you know many years to improve power efficiency on Mac laptops in a lot of ways that make it so that when things aren't cranked up to a hundred percent and the fan is going, and it's using all the cores, and it's encoding video or whatever. When when it's doing that, it's got to have that up, 
that you know the the ability to go up to the highest point of of a performance and do that but when it's not doing that it's it's you know over time it's much more aggressive and the chip designs are like this too much more aggressive at cranking everything down in order to save power the challenge with that is if you got a test that is basic web browsing or whatever uh, depending on how that test is built um it may be revealing a uh, a battery figure in terms of time that is real, but is now continues to diverge more and more from how much battery life does this thing have if I use it at 100% efficiency, if I'm encoding a video or something like that. Because it may have been that back in the in the olden days, I'm just going to make up numbers now, but back in the olden days, that that uh, Mac laptop that you had would encode video uh, at 100% CPU for on battery for an hour and die. But if you did general web browsing, you could get two hours. And then over time, suddenly encoding video still took an you know an hour uh, before it killed the battery, but general web browsing took three hours because they were more efficient with general web browsing kind of shutting down all the all the the power difference between high mode and low mode. And the theory goes that now we've reached a point where they have progressed so far with this that and shaved battery out of these systems that they still will claim, you know, oh, 10 hours of web browsing, but now that full on 100% using everything is maybe not even an hour, maybe it's less than an hour. And that's a problem, right? Because that's how you get wild swings and estimates. Because if you're encoding a video or editing a podcast or whatever, um, at that moment, that thing's going to say, oh, God, you've got 40 minutes left. Um, but if you're just like looking at a file in Microsoft Word, it's going to say, oh, yeah, you've got seven hours left. And those could be with the same percentage of battery. And so Apple's argument would probably be, does this do anybody any good to have a uh, a time estimate that is not uh and it's not even an estimate like <laughs> the language was remaining time colon it was categorical right so my reaction to this was why didn't you just change the string to say estimated remaining time <laughs> Because the, the idea is, I don't know how many people took that as, I have exactly one hour yeah. and 15. It was always like, time is a much better indicator of time than percentage points. <laughs> okay, I agree with you. And yet, the iPhone doesn't have a time indicator. Right, but I hate that. I wish it did have an okay, estimated right. time remaining, right? Okay. Because there are times where like, I'm using my iOS devices and it says like 35%. I have no idea what that means. So, I don't know so what the that challenge, means. So the challenge is how do you communicate a number when it's not really one number because it depends on how you use it in the future? And the answer would be, so right, right, that theoretically, if you went in low power mode um, and really refrained from using your phone a whole lot, you could get five hours out of that 20%. But if you are playing Mario Run, then it's going to kill that battery in an hour or half an hour. And and those are wildly different numbers, or Pokemon Go, right? Wildly different numbers for the same thing. The answer, honestly, and this this is the core of my criticism of Apple for doing this, and maybe they'll bring it back at some point with this sort of thing done, is the other way to do this would make to, would be to make your number better, right? Not just not just say estimated time remaining or whatever, which you could do rather than just say 
remaining time, colon, number. Um, make it better. Like, profile the user. Know what they're doing. Have that number be based on your standard usage pattern. Provide some intelligent analysis of how people use the laptop. If you're somebody who always is using general web browsing, then use know that and use that as the guess. If you're somebody who 10% of the time that they use it, it's at 100% CPUs and the other 90% it's not, use that as the basis. Will it be a perfect number? No, it won't be. But it could be a better number and it could be useful for people. And Apple is in the business of simplifying technology, right? This, is, this goes back to what you were saying. The time is a better estimate of time than battery percentage it is because it's 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 the actual measurement and this computer hopefully or phone or tablet should be smart enough to to not know for sure yes you might do something un un uh, completely unexpected you might do something where oh now that i'm on battery power i'm going to encode this blu-ray <laughs> it's like what why would you do that oh well okay i'll do it until my battery runs out that could happen but your computer could take its best shot. And I think the the conventional wisdom anyway is that that number that, w- that was until it was removed in the menu bar was not really that. It wasn't good enough of a number. And so your choices are make the number better or remove it and run away. And Apple chose to remove it and run away for now. And that's too bad. But the, I think, you know, the, the bigger issue here is, is I think is the timing of that like if this has been a known oh, problem terrible. for terrible a long time. time then it shouldn't have been done now and even if you wanted to do it now is not the right time to do it because my guess is that the, this was yeah my guess is that the the reason why this happened is because it was exacerbated by the new laptops mm-hmm. and they were getting not just dinged in the press but also they were getting support issues where people were saying something's wrong with my laptop it says i have 7 hours of battery left and then the battery dies in one and that bubbles up through the chain and somebody somewhere at apple is like i told you that stupid number is always wrong why do we even have it and at some point somebody in a position of authority said look let's just take it out and it probably wasn't i would in fact i would guess it probably wasn't somebody saying people are complaining about the amount of time that our our batteries last on these laptops let's remove the number i don't think it was that but you're right the impression is oh geez people don't like our laptop battery number let's take out the readout right and that looks it looks terrible sure here's the thing though right even though like i said time is a better indicator of time than percentage points Mm -hmm. People can still understand how numbers work. Is the percentage indicator better than the time indicator from an API perspective? Because that number is still going to tick down. And yeah. if people are losing 40% of battery life in an hour, like that, they still know that's a problem. I right? think the... Right. I think... Well, yeah, sure. That, 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 has, to be, that has to be part of the, part of the issue is... Look, I, I would say here, um, let's pull back for a minute to, to a little bit broader picture. And this could be something for the WWDC wish list. It's like a Mac wish list item, which is for all of Apple's talk about bringing mobile technology to the Mac and improving it, whether it's features that are also on iOS or whether it's, you know, the things like the touch bar or better power management. Um, there are places where I think Apple could do an even better job with this, right? Um, and and hasn't. And the two that come up now are, and again, ATP talked about this last week, low power mode, 
which is a much better system-wide conceptual framework for sometimes I need to save battery power. Whether it's apps saying, here's what I want to do, or whether it's the user gets to say, please put this in low power mode and let me last as long as possible, even if that cranks down, even if it turns off the discrete graphics and all of that. Let let me do that. And then the other one we've talked about before here, which is um, cellular versus Wi-Fi, like having the ability to be like, be aware that I'm on a a, a, a limited, a metered network and not do all this stuff in the background with power saving. It would be, I'm not going to analyze a thousand uh, photos for mountains and horses right now because I'm trying to save power. And some of that may be going on in the background, but I think there's a lot of skepticism about that, that maybe they've taken, they've taken their eye off the ball of some of that stuff. And, you know, in terms of percentage versus time, I guess what I would say is I get the argument who says, well, I look at that time and I use, I know that that's not the real number, but I use that as a gauge about what my current sort of battery drain is. And like at this rate of drain, it'll be over by then. But, you know, people watch the percentage and do the same thing. People, people, people do that. I think it's incumbent on Apple to do a better job of communicating how much time you're going to get out of your phone or your laptop than they, than they maybe do now. And that's across the board, right? Like you said, you know, maybe, you know, 86% battery is not a helpful indicator and that they'd be better off saying, here's how much time we think you have with the battery. They could all, you could also argue that most people don't want even to see anything. They just want to see the battery symbol and know when it's halfway. And that's the level of granularity that they really need is, oh, geez, I need to charge. And some, you know, everybody's different. People are going to use it for different things. But it just frustrates me because it seems like this is something where Apple could do a better job providing information for the user. And instead, what has happened is they've just removed a feature. (laughs) I don't like that. I, you know, I I I I keep bringing this up, but it's like um, stickers in iMessage on the iPad in split oh, screen, boy. where drag and drop <laughs> stop work. Like you could drag an image, you could drag a sticker, but if you're in split screen, it wouldn't drop on the message. So the way they yeah. fixed that problem was to just no longer allow you to even drag them. It's like, yes. it's, no, you've not fixed it. You've no. you've not fixed this. Like you you don't fix something by removing it. <laughs> That's not a fix. Um, he's like, oh, we fixed the engine in your car. We took it out. Is that okay? It's not a problem anymore because it's not in there. I don't know. Yep. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm happy we have a balance this week. I mean, I know it's, there is like a, a general consensus right now that Apple commentary is grumpy. And I feel it. And I'm I'm frustrated yeah, that I'm frustrated now. I'm like I'm at a point where like I don't want to keep do- doing this. So I'm happy we got to talk about something cool like the AirPods today. But I just think that where we are right now in the in Q4 of 2017. I mean, maybe I'm I'm going to give some little spoilers for the uh, for the upgraders. But you can see it in the voting. One of the nominees, well, a lot of the nominees for the most disappointing products this year include the products that Apple has released, but they are also in the best products of the year category. Of course. And, and I think that is a a real kind of feeling right now. Like the iPhone, I love my iPhone 7, but it still disappoints me because there there wasn't... It didn't really give me that much, to be honest, and and it took away a lot. Um, I I feel like the balance was still there, but iPhones don't usually take away, uh, but the iPhone Seven did, and it it gave me some great features. But it's it's that's been a weird one, you know. And then so we were in a weird mood, I think, in September. 
you know, coming off of the iPhone announcement. And then it just kind of just snowballed because there was just nothing for the Mac. And what there was wasn't good enough um, for, for what app, the situation that Apple would allow them to get in. So I think that's why I think genuinely we're in a winter of discontent right now. That is where we, where a lot of Apple commentary is because it has been a very weird final quarter of the year for Apple product releases. Right, we got we got all that pent up, you know. Everybody was frustrated. Everybody's wanting news, and then it came, and it was not the release of tension of like, oh, thank God, now everything's yeah. fine. Instead, it was well, and again, you know, I I think I said this at the time, but it's like that. The problem was not that there was sort of a mixed reaction to Apple's products that they announced in the fall. The problem was that it was a reaction made by a group that has been desperate for anything. Mm -hmm. And it magnified the importance of this one set of announcements, where if there were four others of similar level in the past 12 months or 18 months, it wouldn't have mattered so much. It would have been like, well, you know, this is good, this is bad, all that. But, you know, it was such a, uh, you know, everybody's interest was yep. uh, escalated and it enhanced the the reaction. And it has left, yeah, it has left everything in a little bit of a weird place. It's it's one of the bad side effects of, of complete Q4 product releasement, like releases from Apple, you know, waiting and doing everything in the final quarter. And hopefully... Hopefully, we're going to see some stuff in the spring for the iPad, which I'm. Which I'm. This is my problem now. Like I wasn't too frustrated about the Mac stuff, right? Like I could see the frustration, but I ended up getting what I wanted, which was the MacBook, and I'm happy with that. But I can see why it frustrates people. The spring better give me some good iPad stuff, or I'll be very frustrated. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that would be scary if the. If the spring comes and there are no new iPads, or if the iPads are uh, are not uh, like there's no, there's no, no iOS, iOS update, yeah. and we and we spend another yeah. six months or a year with the terrible app switcher and all that, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, get ready for that because one. Because then Woo. it will be six months of will we even get anything? We didn't get anything in ten. So ah, we'll but she was on the other foot then. Yeah, <laughs> me and Federico were talking about this and connected a couple of weeks ago. Like, if you are an iPad Pro user, it's been just as bad. Right, like with there not being anything that you want, so like it's it's just been a funny thing to think about. Yeah. All right, it's nearly time for ask upgrade and a mini Mike at the movie segment at the end of this week's show. But before we do that, let me take a moment to thank our friends over at Casper for supporting this week's episode. Casper is the company focused on sleep who has created the perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Casper's award-winning mattress was developed in-house. It has a sleek design and it's delivered in an impossibly small box. Casper cuts the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms, passes those savings directly to you, and as well as their amazing mattresses, Casper now also offer adaptive pillows and soft breathable sheets. Casper's mattress combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create the perfect mattress that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus its breathable design helps to regulate your temperature throughout the night. Jason Snell, I know you are a man who sleeps on a Casper mattress. Do you find that your temperature is regulated throughout the night? 
Uh, well, I'm sleeping for most of it, so it's hard for me to tell exactly what's happening. Well, maybe it is, right? Do you ever wake up too hot or too cold, Jason Snell? I don't think you do. <laughs> we in the in the both the summer and the winter, we used to have issues where it would be like uh, we had a we had to bring on like a down comforter at one point, and then in the summer, sometimes I would be sticking my you know legs out the out of the blanket because it was too hot and all of that and i can say that uh, a lot of that uh, temperature management stuff is not an issue anymore with the casper it's a much more consistent temperature and this is a result of the thousands of hours that casper's own team of engineers spent on creating this obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price mattresses will usually cost well over fifteen hundred dollars when you go to a showroom and you, you sit on them and decide if you want to spend the rest of your life on it when you've sat on it in your shoes for a couple of minutes but casper mattresses cost five hundred dollars for a twin size six hundred for twin xl seven fifty for a full eight fifty for a queen and nine fifty for a king and they are made in america Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns to the U.S. and Canada with a 100-night home trial. If you do not love that mattress, they will pick it up from your home and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit because you're going to be spending a third of your life on it. So they will give you 100 nights to make that decision. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com upgrade and using the code upgrade terms and conditions apply thank you so much to casper for their support of this show time for ask upgrade steven asks how do you manage your media libraries and what software do you use to do so i've got so much invested in itunes but i really do not like it i don't (laughs) have a media library anymore i use streaming services yeah, that's sort of my answer too. I do have an iTunes library and that's got my stuff that I bought and downloaded, but so much of what I do now is just using Apple Music in my case. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a I, hard drive that has a bunch of movies on it, has a bunch of music on it, just in folders that have been I'd kind of like moved from device to device over the years and I didn't put that on my iMac when I got it because at that point I was into all the streaming services. You know, I use Netflix. I buy things on iTunes, but I just delete them when I'm done with them because you can just download them or play them straight from the iTunes apps on any of your devices. I use Apple Music. I use Netflix. I use Amazon Prime. I don't want, I mean, especially in in the age of SSDs, I don't want a media library anymore. Yeah, I mean, I keep mine on on my server that's got lots of storage, but it, my increasing uh, not you know my lack of use of it and my not caring about it so much, uh, where I used to care about it a lot and maintain it and all that, um, that suggests to me that it's not it's not a priority and perhaps not long for this world. I do have like I use the Amazon um, uploader to basically I, I spent the whatever twenty dollars a year or, or something to upload or match. It's the Amazon equivalent of iTunes Match, my whole uh, library, because I don't want to pay for um, a, a separate music streaming service for like the the Echo. And so I've mm. got basically that makes my uh, my MP3 library, my iTunes library available on the Echo. So if I want to play uh-huh. yes. an album that I own, I can do that because right. the Prime Music is is really limited. And so that expands what what's available on the mm-hmm. Echo. I was just listening to. Um, out in the kitchen last night, um, my wife was do, did a shuffle of uh, Beatles songs, and that all came out of the upload from my right uh, from awesome. from the library. So so uh, and so Sonos. When I'm using Sonos, one of the options there is also sort of like your library, and so I have the option through that 
through that player to either play from Apple Music or play from uh, from Sonos or you know there are other services I'm I'm not using Spotify I'm using Apple Music but yeah so it is um, uh, you know I I don't really like it and I wouldn't say I I think the beauty of of um, of the streaming services is that you don't have to manage your media libraries. Like I'm more concerned about managing my playlists, like making playlists of things I want to listen to. But when you kind of cut ties more or less and just let yourself be one with the streaming service, you kind of leave all the media management behind. And uh, there's a lot to say for that. Building on this, Stepan, I assume this is a different person. It is a different person, but it's Steph- Stephen and Stepan both wrote in about why they hate, hate iTunes, which I think is cool. <laughs> iTunes is a joke in 2016. How do you see its future? It still seems somewhat essential with restores and fast upgrading of iOS devices and management of, of, of media. Do you? What do you think, Jason? Like This has been a... a and often spoken about thing like when is iTunes gonna be broken up or when is iTunes gonna be remade? Like, do you think that, that, that iTunes still has this phoenix from the flames <laughs> moment within it? I'm a little worried that the answer to this is very much like the answer to so much of what we've been talking about the last few months, which is how much does Apple care about the Mac? Because you know iOS is so important to Apple. Is Apple really, for the people who are consuming music and video on a Mac today, how many people are doing that versus an Apple TV or an iOS device? In terms of Apple's priorities, it's sort of like iTunes for Windows. It's sort of, uh, I, I have to ask the question, like, does Apple think it's good enough? Like, not good, but good enough that they don't need to invest in it? Are they really going to make a TV app for the Mac, or are they just going to say, "Well, forget it. We don't. We don't care." Don't get me wrong. I hope that Apple will make a proper music app that's a a better uh, a better Mac app for Apple Music, and a better video app that lets you you know see movies and TV on the iTunes Store, and maybe separates out device wired device sync and stuff, uh, wired and wireless device sync, but. If I had to guess, if I, you know, there's somebody in Apple making the argument that that's an edge case and that everybody's moving to uh, to the cloud, everybody's using iOS devices for streaming stuff, and it's just not a it's it's just not a big enough market. It works, and let's keep it working, but let's not make a major investment into transforming iTunes. It's you know, it is what it is on the Mac. Let's just leave it there. And based on what's happened with iTunes the last couple of years, that seems accurate because I you know, there's nothing. It's just it it continues to exist. Um, and on top of that, like there's not a lot of competition. So I don't feel like Apple is having its lunch eaten by anybody else on the Mac. So that's, there's even less of a reason for them to care. That's depressing, but it is, but it's, I think it's true. Donovan asked, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on what is considered to be a standard mic recommendation, the blue Yeti for somebody getting started with podcasting. I still recommend the Blue Yeti. Uh, I used the Blue Yeti for many years. And the reason that I recommend it is it is a really good all-in-one package. It's not the best sound quality. Um, it's difficult to mount to a, a shock mount. So like if you it comes in a, it comes with an integrated stand. If you put it on the table, it's fine. But if you bump into the table, that's gonna really come into the microphone. Yep. So you have to be careful with it. Don't like wrap your hands on the table, like you know, just stop playing with the table and you'll be fine. But the 
the, what the Yeti comes with, I, I love. It, you know, it comes with the ability to plug some headphones in so you can monitor the microphone, so you can listen to your own voice as you're talking, which is very important so you can understand, you know, the volume levels, but also to, to, to help you improve your, your podcasting voice. Um, it's It has gain controls right on there, so you can control how loud the microphone is. It has a mute switch, a hardware mute switch built right into the device. And it also has the... Uh, is it four different modes that it can do? So it can, yeah. it, it's, it's set up to either record just you or record you and a person sitting in front of you to record you and maybe one or two people sitting next to you or to record four people around a table or something like that. And, and honestly, it does a pretty good job of all of those. Um, so and, and for like $110 it is on Amazon right now, for me, my recommendation is you would be hard pressed to find a better all rounder than the Blue Yeti. And um, I always, I used the, the Yeti for years, and I always recommended it to people who were getting started. Um, I I don't anymore. So you might be hard pressed, but I am not. I uh, I have switched to recommending the Audio Technica ATR twenty one hundred USB. We put that um. We can put a link in the show notes to my story on Six Colors about a podcast studio for under $100. But the ATR2100 USB, you know, it's got a, it's not, it's, it's got an on off switch that serves as a mute switch. It, uh, it is more readily mountable on, it's a lot smaller, it's a lot less heavy. Um, it comes with its own tripod and mic clip. It's also fairly, um, compatible with some relatively cheap, um, uh, sound isolator what is it the keeps you from bumping you, you shock just said mounts. it shock mounts shock mounts right um so it's much more compatible with stuff like that it's got a its own headphone jack it's got its own volume level um it's not you know it's mute switch isn't as nice as the yeti it's volume adjustment is not as nice as the yeti but it's small and light and more compatible with shock mounts and more compatible with windscreens because it's because it's smaller. You can just buy a cheap windscreen. So that's the little phone that you put over the top of the microphone yeah. to stop the like the popping the peas and, that, and all yeah. that. And uh, it's often available for between thirty five and fifty dollars on Amazon. Certainly, so it's 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 cheaper. Um, all of these are reasons why I think it's probably the best choice now. And the other reason is in sound tests, it's generally better at handling echoey rooms. It doesn't have some of the nice features that Mike mentioned that the Yeti has, like the two across feature, which I really like, which is if you and a friend do a podcast together in person, you can put the Yeti on the table and both of you sit on opposite sides of it. And it, and it is set up that it will record sort of you on one side and them on the other side. And you, it ends up sounding pretty nice, but the Yeti is not so great in echoey rooms. And the ATR 2100 is much better in echoey rooms. I also think the ATR twenty one hundred is hard to get in outside of the US, hard to get in the UK. Is that true? I can't I maybe find it, it is. on Amazon right yeah. now. Yeah, but it's and it may have a different name in the UK. But um but I think it's I that's my recommendation now. And you should check out that podcast studio for under a hundred dollars because I mentioned the accessories, getting a windscreen and a shock mount and and maybe a mic stand to replace. Although the the twenty one hundred actually comes with a mic stand. Um so nice. it's pretty full featured for for cheap. So I think for most people who are looking for for a, a, a relatively low cost entry into podcast microphones, that might be the, my choice today instead of the Yeti. You have asked if you were 
If a, if a genie appears right, and, a, <laughs> and gives you the ability to listen to a podcast which is recorded one year into the future, but you can listen to it today, what show would it be, Jason? Um, it would be the uh, the weekly direct from Tim Cook's office tell you everything that's going on at Apple and what he's thinking about what Apple's doing podcast that he's going to launch in 2017. Oh, that so sounds episode, like fun. Episode like 22 of that. That I, I I can't wait. I would listen to the connected year in review episode. So we're going to record that tomorrow. So next year is one of those because then I'll find out about the entire year's technology stories, and then I can start putting bets on it, and then I can uh, uh, I can start to run Mill Valley. And, and I don't and, think you want to. I don't think you want to uh, like uh, cross your own timeline though. That could be dangerous. Mm. You're hearing yourself. That's and true. what if you're not on that episode, Mike? What if you're gone and you're like, oh, what happened to me? Why am I not on the year in review episode of Connected for 2017? Well, because I already knew everything and put all the bets on and won millions and millions of dollars and I don't need to be on the show anymore. Maybe. All right, so that has concluded Ask Upgrade for this week. So we will now fire off the spoiler horn as we are about to discuss Star Wars Rogue One. <laughs> So if you are still listening to us right now, you have made the decision that you want to hear me and Jason talk about Star Wars Rogue One. So if you are spoiled at this point, that is not our fault. I listened to The Incomparable, episode 331, uh, where it's you and Tony and Monty and Ren and John Syracuse uh, spend some time talking about the movie, having pretty much just seen it. Uh, I saw yeah. it on Thursday night. Yep. Me too. And I think that on the whole, I, I echo a lot of the, the feelings that you have and that many of the, 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 the cast of characters on The Incomparable do. So this, Force Awakens, this was not. I agree. Um, I didn't cry during Rogue One. Uh, I didn't feel like I needed to cheer during Rogue One. I, I, I was not overcome with emotion. Um. I don't know if the movie attempted to do that in the same way. I, I don't know. Uh, but my emotion didn't just come from nostalgia. I had genuine feelings and emotions for Ray and for Finn. Like I was really at up, I got caught up in that story in, in a very different way. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know what the difference was there, for, honestly, but I, it didn't feel like that for me. And, and I'll wait to see how episode eight makes me feel, right? Because if episode eight makes me feel just the way that Rogue One made me feel kind of emotionally, then I'll realize it was just because I was so freaking excited for Star Wars to come back, right? Because mm-hmm. that may have been what it was. Um, I couldn't stand the CGI characters. <laughs> Uh, Tarkin and Leia. Leia was an abomination. Tarkin was okay, but the, the Leia face at the end, it just looked like Final Fantasy. Like She did not look like a real person at all to me. So I, I've asked a bunch of people if they noticed the CGI, you know, and it's not like they're pure CGI. I think they have, they have body doubles and then they did a face replacement and the face replacement is a CGI face replacement. I think that's how they did it. Um, I asked a bunch of people about this, including my family. And I can tell you, my family members did not notice that Tarkin was a CGI character. And I think this is where we are now. I, I think this was as impressive a bit of work as you could have to get to the point where people who didn't know 
Peter Cushing from Star Wars and know that that's Peter Cushing and know that he's been dead for 20 years or whatever and and all of that who just are watching a Star Wars movie and not paying as close attention to some details as as some nerds are um I think this was probably the the Tarkin was probably good enough for most of them to not notice at which point job done right although you could argue <laughs> And, and this would be my argument that anybody who cares that it looks exactly like Peter Cushing, those are the people who are going to notice that it's not. Yeah. And hiring a lookalike to do it, somebody who looks kind of like him, like they did with um, Wayne Pegram in Star Wars Episode Three, is maybe, maybe would disappoint fans in a different way because it's not Peter Cushing. But at the same time, it would also not be... Um, not be a synthetic uh, character. I, Leia, I think. I think everybody liked the idea of it, even though they knew that that was not because they know they know what Carrie Fisher looks like now. They know that that's not her. That's her from back then, and so they they were twigged onto that being synthetic in a way that they weren't with Tarkin. So so I feel like they came a long way, right? They unsuspecting people didn't really notice, but if you look closely, which all the nerds were looking closely, um, it feels. It took me out of the movie entirely. I, I I couldn't even tell you what is said in those scenes because I was completely taken out of it by the fact mm-hmm. that that was a synthetic character made to look and sound like Peter Cushing. I will say that, like, just for the record, it did not pop into my mind that he was dead. That wasn't it for me. It didn't really cross my mind. It wasn't in my. It wasn't in the front of my mind that Peter Cushing was dead. Like Star Wars for me is so out of time as to when it was made. Like, I don't really think about the fact that the people in that movie are like 40 years old. Like it doesn't really, cause it's just been this like thing. So I obviously, if I think about it rationally, the guy of that age will not be alive now, but that, that wasn't my feeling. It wasn't that I felt like I was looking at a dead man. I just knew I wasn't looking at a human being and I could tell immediately. And I don't know if it's because I play more video games, right? So you yeah. can see this. Because what it is, is it is nuance of movement. As he was walking, he was walking like a video game character. like, And it was the movement more than the facial expressions that really destroyed it for me. Because he's ever so slightly kind of just floating. Like It just looks weird. Like there is not as much expressive movement in him. It is by far the best sustained CGI I've seen. You know, like as I saw somebody uh, mentioned in Ant Man, Michael Douglas, like right. that was incredible, but probably easier to do because they could use Michael Douglas, right? Um, exactly, and then just de-age him. Exactly, I assume that makes it easier. But and Robert Downey in Civil War is the same way. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Um, oh, uh, there's a flashback. I, I mean, that's not a spoiler. Like, it's just, yeah. yeah. Robert Downey was also in movies in the 80s, and they used some footage of that to build no. a face replacement to make him younger. Yeah. I think they just used too much of him. A couple of scenes with him not yeah. moving would have that's been my fine. That's my feeling about it, is I, I, I think, because John Syracuse was going on about how he thought it was a mistake, and I was like, you know, I, I thought it was great when it was his reflection in the glass, and then he turns around and says something. And then just and have him like, in that, groups? That's, that's really cool. But then he's like 
somebody said i think he's in this more than he's in star wars i'm like yeah that's i think i felt like it was too much like they were they were like look we can do this let's do a lot of it it's like could you you know maybe only use him when when absolutely necessary would have been better it's it is an impressive achievement it is but it still didn't work for me because i knew and i it took me out of the movie and ideally that wouldn't be the case and whether it's that he's dead or just that he's i mean that movie was was uh, 45 years ago, f- 40 years ago. I don't even know how many, 50 years ago. Yeah. 50 I mean, years ago. He obviously is, but it, it's, it, it, that wasn't uh, what I was thinking 40 at the years time. Ago. You yeah. know, so, but believe it or not, the character that I could pay, that, that really, so when Tarkin was there, like I was like, oh, okay, but I could appreciate the technical achievement. So it didn't right. upset me, but I was like, mm. and I really wanted this to be the movie that leads into Star Wars, right? Yeah. And having him there and having Darth Vader there makes that the case. And the Leia one was such a short thing where I was like, ah, you yeah. did not do a good job. But do you know what bothered me the most? Vader. Huh. I now hated why, why that so? scene. Darth Vader is three things, right? He is movement, costume, and voice. The movement didn't look right, and the voice sounded like an old man. Mm, well because he's an old man and i think they should have how many millions of people in the world can do a good darth vader impression yeah like i don't know why they use james Earl jones i I think it's hard to i think it's hard to not make a movie with darth vader and not have james Earl jones do it it just every line of dialogue sounded unconvincing to me it didn't it didn't that didn't bother me at all yeah i i was really surprised that nobody brought that up Although going back to Star Wars, um, I think the Vader body movement in Star Wars is weird too. That that part of the challenge with Darth Vader is that Darth Vader in Star Wars is very different from Darth Vader in The Empire Strikes Back and Return yeah. of the Jedi. He I looks know. different. He moves differently. It's a it's a very different performance, and they and they kind of matched it. And I um, think they matched it and, wrong. And it's though. weird. I, I yeah, know why be. they did it, but I think they should have given us the Vader everybody knows. Like having dress in the appropriate dress for the time. But the movement, he just yeah. looked a bit timid. And and like when you're coupling that with yeah. the, the echoes of the Imperial March in that big lava castle, yeah. it all didn't work. Like this is yeah. clearly a very intimidating guy, but the movement was unsure, but the, it was the voice for me. It I, like re- I really the, didn't like it at all. I, I love that scene at the end, though, where he's uh, he arrives and oh, his that was Star Destroyer destroys all those ships, and then he gets on board the ship and he kills all those guys in the funny hats. Yep, that I was think, great. Uh, I'm going to see the movie again. Obviously, uh, I th- I genuinely think that that will probably become one of my favorite Star Wars scenes of all time. It sure. was fantastic. Because I think it the was whole space brutal. battle is amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean oh, yeah. the the two. I mean, I'll get. We'll get to the Star Destroyers smashing into each other in a minute. But like th- that that scene where he's just like just hacking and slashing, and it's like this doesn't. We don't see this very often, but this is what it would be like. He is an e- evil man, and he has a job to do, and his job is to get that disc. So yeah, he will just kill everyone that gets in his way, and he doesn't care about it. And I was like, that is the kind of like the anger that and and that kind of brutality. That isn't in a lot of Star Wars because of the time, but would be there today as we now see it, right? Because movies just tend to be more violent than they were then. And and I liked that. I liked that scene because it was very convincing for me. If he would have just been walking through that corridor and just force pushing everybody out of the way, like, you know, like just, ah, just get out of my way. No, he's going to be killing some guys trying to get that thing because that's how important that was to Darth Vader, right? Like that is his job to save the empire 
He's just been put in this role, right? Like he's it's his first role on the job, and so he's gonna go. He's gonna go and kill some fools with the funny hats. Yeah, and I love that that led straight in. By the way, like that you get the white walls. Like I loved all of that. Like the fact yeah. that it went straight into it. But the the space battles in this movie were my favorite thing because they are some of the best that they've ever had. So whatever it was and the decisions that they've made, but like there are some things like everything in space was incredible. Like the moment when the light was hitting the the ships and then it hits the star destroyer, you know, like it's like the, it's like the sun or whatever is is casting over them. That was just a beautiful scene. But when the two star destroyers smash into each other, when the X wings hit the the force field and just like smash and skid in to the, and skid across the so yeah, good. that was so good. Because the easy thing to do was just have them explode. Right, like that's the easy thing to do, like. But they they came up with something new, which makes way more sense. Which is like this is just like hitting a wall, right? So you're just gonna skid across it. I really like that. Um, the, the 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 performances were mostly good. Uh, is it K S two O or K two S O? Yeah, the, something the like that. It, clear standout performance like by a country oh, it's, mile it's so good the, the cgi the, the the character design is great yep the physical movement of him is great and the voice is great and that was All alan tudyk and and he he was a motion capture performer as that so he was on the set in the motion capture performing that that, yeah. that character yeah they that that was just a fantastic character um i really i really enjoyed felicity jones as Genoso. um what I really liked about it is her look. Like she had a great, just like a great look. Like that she was, she was a convincing, like rebel. You know, like the in the same way that that Ray was. Like you just could look at her and yeah. believe that she could super handle herself, right? Like she just had that look about her, which I really liked. I did not enjoy uh, Cassian. Diego Luna, I just didn't yeah. enjoy that performance. I, di- I didn't really think that he brought a lot to it. Forrest Whitaker was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and Donnie Yen, Donnie Yen played a character. Like, Force Monk. Yeah. I can't, I, I, I actually can't say, that. What, what is his name? Is it Chirut? Yeah, I, I'm not going to even try. Mads Mikkelsen, also great. And and a lot of the kind of oh, yeah. the, the, the small actors, um, I really enjoyed. There's like, the, you know, like the kind of the ragtag group. Uh, but there were some that were like, you know, especially Diego Luna. I really didn't enjoy him, um, and and that was a shame. I, my feeling on this is like, this is this is what the prequels should have been. Like, this mm-hmm. is what a, this is a prequel. Like, this, this is, is a prequel. The this is like they made not, a good Star Wars exactly. prequel, Mike. This is it, right? <laughs> this is how I feel about this. Is like this is a movie, which is just setting up the big ones, right? And that's maybe what the prequel should have been because it had everything the prequels had to deal with, which was a story we already know. Yeah, right. And it's Darth Vader, the Darth Vader we know, not the Darth Vader we get in the prequels, who is mm. super disappointing in my mind. This is the scary Darth Vader, like, <laughs> but even, that, yeah, you know, like he's scary. Removing the Vader thing, it's like, the, the you know, like people say the problem with the prequels is we knew what was going to happen, right? But we knew what was going to happen in this movie that they would get the plans, but <laughs> right. they did something that was unexpected, which I loved, which is that they killed everyone. Yep. <laughs> Everybody yeah. dies. And that is, Everybody a, dies. that is a great way to end this movie. 
because it's like that makes sense no one should have lived through that and the whole and it makes way more sense for the continuation of the story that the success was built upon the people that sacrificed well, and, it's and like, i think it makes yes. so much sense yes i think it is it's really dangerous i mean prequels are dangerous because you're playing with people sort of um it's not just the canon it's what we call the head canon it's sort of like the world you build up to fill in the blanks um if the prequel disputes that you can end up in a really weird bit of cognitive dissonance where you're like oh no no i didn't really expect that i think this movie does such a good job of making kind of intensifying feelings that Mm -hmm. you have for star wars because you get like because the MacGuffin in star wars is the plans it's the death star plans they're in leia puts them in r2d2 he gets jettisoned to tatooine he finds uh, ben kenobi they have to travel to alderaan it gets blown up they go to the death star they escape they take the plans back to yavin you know and they use the plans to blow up the death star right that is the entire movie of star wars is about these plans and the ramifications of them and now we know the people who sacrificed their lives to get the plans out now we know them and I feel like that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see how close at many points the plans come from, you know, not getting to their destination, including by Darth Vader cutting a bunch of people up with lightsabers. I think that's all good. And if you want to take it this way, we also, they also do a very clever thing about how could it be that the Death Star has this flaw that lets you go to one thermal exhaust port and shoot one yep. proton torpedo fantastic. down them. Just fantastic retcon. The answer is one of the chief engineers of the Death Star tried to leave because he hated the Empire and the Empire found him, killed his wife, his daughter disappears, he's dragged back into service and he has, and the movie doesn't, you know, you have to work this out for yourself, but it's like, he has three choices. He can let them kill him. He can collaborate with them. That's it, right? So what's his third choice? His third choice is act like you're collaborating with them while you are undermining them from within. And that's what he chooses to do. And he does it for years. And he doesn't see his daughter and his wife is dead. But in the end, like the hero of that movie is is Galen Erso. It's Mads Mikkelsen because he he is the guy who makes the flaw and then gets the plans that gets the info about where the plans are so they can find the flaw to the rebellion. And it all keys off because, because the um, empire and that, uh, that guy Krennic was doing what empire people do, which was being uh, treating people badly and being cruel to people. And in this case, you know, killing his wife and and taking him away from his daughter because they need him to work on this on the on the Death Star and that is the inhuman immoral act that causes the Empire to fall. That's pretty cool. From this movie, we get all of that. I, I think that the uh, the scriptwriter who came up with that they had a real eureka moment that day. Like it it really works. Like yeah. it makes sense because up until this point, it has always been like a pardon the pun a hole in the the plot <laughs> why does the death star have a hole mike it's like how how stupid could they have been right but it's like no they right. weren't stupid yeah it was a trick 
and it's you know everybody's gonna have their own take on it but for me it's like that was the art of it is that it feels like a good way to address it not rather than it being some dumb like well actually what you what you find is that empire construction techniques require the no it's not like that it's you know what The guy in charge of the Death Star tried to quit and they killed his wife and made him and forced him to do it. And so he said, screw you guys. I'm going to make a flaw in the Death Star and make sure the Rebellion knows about it so that they can stop this weapon before it destroys more than, you know, one, two, three planets. I'm going to I'm going to do what I can. And I I buy that. I love that. I I, I really appreciate that. That's where we ended up is that I I accept that canon accepted like that. It works because all that the rebel uh, all of the the empire think the rebels are doing is stealing the death star's plans right which right. is more than enough of a reason to try and stop them what they but it they don't know that the plans contain a flaw in them but that doesn't matter because it's convincing enough that the rebels would just want them anyway well you know what what's what's funny is you could argue that and i want to see the movie before arguing this further but um you could argue that krennic Right. When he uh, kills all the engineers and all of that, and he's he's on the outs, right? He's been he's been displaced by Tarkin. He's been told to go away by Vader, basically. And he he goes to the to the planet where the plans are. And given what all is going on there and what uh, what uh, Galen Urso says about how he was the one who betrayed them. He might have an inkling that this is a bigger deal. He might, but nobody will listen to him (laughs) and he dies with everyone else. So it doesn't matter. Right. I kind of like the idea that maybe Krennic is figuring it out that there's a bigger issue that Galen Erso has done something really bad with the Death Star. I'm not sure the movie supports that, but if not, then my headcanon will support that. But, you know, in the end, Krennic's been told to pound sand literally because it's a sandy planet where they put the whoever we said this on the incomparable whoever um decided that the storage tapes would all be located on a uh, sandy beach that person deserves a medal they were looking for a uh, for a retirement place what a great yeah. setting another great setting like right? we, i think it, we we got this in 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 episode 7 we got some incredible settings like with the water and stuff and what a great place to have a battle yeah yeah it was really good so I'll say, like, I, I'm, there are parts of this movie that I didn't like, but I, I liked it. It was a very good action movie set in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. But it wasn't what I considered to be a Star Wars movie. And this is it, right? They call it a Star Wars story. Right. And there's no crawl. And they didn't have the usual song, right? Like, there's all of this stuff. Is like, this is with the types of things you know i loved by the way all the old star wars stuff coming back all the 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 look and the design and the old the, old yeah. stormtroopers and, all great yeah. love to see all of that and it was done so well um but yeah it's like this is a really great movie well this is a this is a good movie mm-hmm. within the star wars universe i expect the han solo movie to be like this i expect the boba fett movie to be like this like good movies in the Star Wars universe, like like the Marvel movies, you be like, that yeah. was a good Iron Man movie, but it ain't no Avengers, right? Like it's the same kind of idea, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. That you've got your standalone movies that are kind of like connected in the Marvel sense; they're connected, but they're not part of the main through line of story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Doctor Strange was like that. Ant Man was like that. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is sort of like that, where you know, the, whereas the Avengers and Civil War and all of that—that's the like the ongoing story that they're telling, and this other stuff just sort of ties in. This is a little bit like that. I gotta say, 
I I look at a movie like this and think I would like to see more movies like this in the Star Wars story every other year kind of thing because I would really hate it if the every other year kind of thing literally was just hey remember that character you liked from a long time ago this is when they were younger or here's another adventure they had I actually like the idea that this movie is people we don't know it is very closely tied in to people we do know and the setting of a movie we know but I do like that I hope they have the the uh, the freedom and uh, and creativity to do some stories set in the Star Wars universe that are not, uh, you know, young Han Solo, young Chewbacca, yeah, yeah. young Boba Fett, whatever. Star Wars and, babies. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I, I would like some other some other kinds of. Mo- it's such a rich universe, and you could have a lot of fun with it. And here they made a war movie. There are other kinds of movies they could make too. I want to see a like a romance lib movie, uh, which actually reminds me that I, I hate sand. Like- it's so rough and coarse and... Oh, oh not that kind of romance. I didn't like the romance that blossomed at the end of the movie or it felt forced. Yeah, the ba- barely, and barely there. Yeah, it, it it felt like maybe there was some deleted scenes, uh, yeah. but it, it definitely felt like it was just like forced in and then was like hinted at and then was blatant and then was hinted at again. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't yeah. think that landed very well. But, but good movie and I'm going to see it again. Uh, if you yeah. want to find our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 120. We'll be back next week uh, on Boxing Day for a holiday extravaganza. Um, and then the week after that will be uh, the upgrade-ies! broadcast of the pre-recorded upgrades. It feels like a real award show. Now, I know, right? right? We're pre-recording it in case anybody does anything wild so and we can't uh, let, let that be put on air. If you want to mm. find our show notes for this week, I've already told you where to go. If you want to support our sponsors, you should do. And I want to take a moment again to thank Casper FreshBooks and Encapsula for that. Uh, go to sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com for Jason's work. Outside of his fantastic shows at Relay FM, of which there are more like Clockwise and Liftoff and Free Agents, you should go listen to those. Uh, Jason is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Until next time, say goodbye, Mr. Snell. All the great shows! It's better than screaming. (laughs) It is.